This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Aloha, Dreamland. It is Jeremy Vaney, and I'm here to tell you that Ghost Dog is a Mystery Box is the name of the website that my guest today, Stephanie Quick, uh, keeps her writings, her blog posts, her podcast uh, links to shows that she's done, you know, like this, like she's been a guest on shows. And said blog can be found at www.stephaniequick.home.blog. And today, we're going to be talking about one of a myriad bunch of subjects that she knows about, sex magic. I heard her talk about it on uh, Vuk. You remember Vuk? He was here a, a couple of uh, months ago. Vuk's podcast, um, which is Tracing Owls, and I actually uh, shared that podcast with Whitley Strieber, <laughs> who, who doesn't know that. Uh, and Whitley was like, ooh, I, I've had some of those experiences, whatever they were talking about on, on his show. And I was like, no, Whitley, you can't poach my guest. You can't poach my guest this early in our uh, working relationship. I says to him, didn't say that at all. Actually, I'm embellishing. But uh, I got her first. <laughs> so sorry, Stephanie. <laughs> and sorry, Whitley, too. Um, anywho, I don't know anything about sex magic. I listened to their show. I had my own questions. I jotted them down. They were few, not many. And that's good because that means this is going to be a real conversation. And um, uh, so we'll talk about that. Uh, for the free portion of the program and for the subscriber portion, we'll get into her own personal high strangeness experiences as well. So definitely click the subscribe button at unknowncountry.com, which is the home site for this year Dreamland show. Um, and uh, set yourself up with a, with a subscription. Why not? Um, otherwise, either way, I will... Prolong your agony no longer. And be aware that this hair is going to be happening all during the interview and probably some of this sweat. So uh, get ready. Get set. Sex magic. Here we come. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please welcome to Dreamland, Stephanie Quick. Stephanie, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on here and doing this with me. Oh, no, I think it should be pretty fun. It's a a hot topic, as they say, and uh, so it's usually fun to talk about, and there's a, a lot. It's a definitely uh, sex runs through all these uh, mythology and strange encounters and stuff very strongly, so it's important, too. Yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about sex or sex magic, so <laughs> this ought to be good. Uh, I, I don't, first, let's go over the birds and the bees. No. Um, so, well, first, actually, let's go over what brings you to the table in this. What is your background with this? Well, uh, let's see. It's always kind of a, a squicky, icky topic for me from this angle because, um, I am 60 now. So I was uh, born in the early 60s and um, grew up uh, in the 60s and the 70s and graduated from high school in 1980. And so um, it was really a time in uh, America where I was living uh, specifically in the greater San Francisco Bay Area where there was a lot of uh, sexual revolution happening. You know, you had the, the hippies, you had uh, San Francisco becoming a mecca for uh, uh, queer and gay people to be at. And um, part of this was there was a lot of at that time um this is before me too and everything uh and in that area there was a lot of uh, sexual predators against children and young women in that area and um so i was uh sexualized and um i had as a very young girl you know like seven eight uh grown men um, I had a number of grown men in cars tried to kidnap me when I was growing up and walking around our suburb, Castro wow. Alley, where I grew up. Um, yeah, and uh, I, and this is another reason why I always hate talking about this, but I mean, obviously there's billions of people on earth and how did they get here? People find other people hot, right? So, 
but I, I was also a person that a lot of people, um, well, I don't know, like a lot, many people, uh, you, you know, wanted to uh, date me or uh, portray me artistically nude or all these different types of things. So I ha had like a lot of sexual attention directed at me by a lot of different people from the time I was very young. And um, so even before I became consciously interested in uh, sex magic or magic at all, um, I was having to learn how to manage that because, you know, there's a lot of these, no, I did not want to get kidnapped and, and sexually abused by a grown man. <laughs> so it's like, how do you take that energy, which is, you know, I would say in some ways, it's kind of like a perversion of the erotic, but it's still sexual energy. It can still result in, for example, if you're uh, for both people are fertile, it can still result in pregnancy, which is, you know, sex, the, the function of sex. Um, so for me, a lot of the, my first impetus was like handling all this coming at me that, and um, that's really a lot of how I came to it. Now, as it happens with, also, as I uh, matured and went through puberty, um, I had some people that were interested in me where I was interested in them back. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I'm a Lucky person, you. I, yes, I know. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. I, I, I look at some of the people that have been, uh, you know, boyfriends or whatever. I'm like, wow, you know, they're like really good looking and really sweet people and very smart. Ladies and germs, go nowhere, please. We will be back after this with more Stephanie Quick, Sex Magic. Where is the unknown country? Is it out there? In the stars? Or is it also somewhere else? Is it in us? In you? Unknown country, join us today. Go to unknowncountry.com right now and join us. Join the questions, join the search, join the adventure, unknowncountry.com, there's no place like it in the world. Abracadabra, we are back. But, uh, you know, so I'm, you know, I mean, I enjoy sex. I enjoy uh, the erotic. And um, for me, it goes just, you know, beyond sex or other people. Um, that whole kind of creative flow that you find, for example, in nature or being out in a storm, that type of erotic sensuality. Um, so I kind of saw it from, from both angles. And then, um, and it's weird because I was thinking about this recently because talking about uh, growing up, uh, in Castro Valley, I, as it turns out, looking back on it, was pretty strongly empathic, right? When you experience other people's thoughts, physical sensations, emotions, um, without a discernible cause, you know, from the time I was pretty young. And it turned out that it was like um, three other young women that I grew up with all have the same type of capacity. One of them, and it's funny because they're all very kind of in very logical, like a lawyer, um, scientist, and a computer programmer, developer. Um, and they all kind of came to it logically like, okay, I'm experiencing these things very strongly. And the only way that it could be coming at me is through like a subtle means or non-physical that we know about yet means. Um, so we all had this type of thing. And then, you know, part of that for me, especially when I started to get like a my uh, early thirties and started to pursue more, uh, practices with, uh, physical human teachers. Um, and I started to become a little bit more adept with, uh, navigating consciousness and doing energy body, body, uh, exercises and stuff. Um, I would pick up on when other people were, uh, thinking of me erotically which, I mean, it can be very startling, I'll just to say it. A lot of this in the beginning, I, I would just be laying there peacefully sleeping in my little bed. And suddenly, you know, you're like startled awake. And it's just like this very uh, sexual feeling that's kind of like at you, but in most cases, very disorganized and kind of feeling like you're being touched and stuff. And it's like, what the heck? 
is going on and, and you know that it's over pretty quickly and you know so i would just um i was uh sitting with leslie temple thurston of corelight at that time and she'd say you know you should always just ask your guides if you have any question whatever it may be so i'd be like who is this what's going on and it happened several times in succession over a number of months that I have this experience. And then the next day, someone would suddenly evince a strong, uh, like romantic social interest in me that they hadn't before. And it's kind of like, oh, so finally I put it together. <laughs> it, it's for me, the most parsimonious explanation is that someone was having an erotic dream about me and I happened to, you know, tune in on it because it's, you know, it's about you. So there's going to be a, in the mind or whatever that kind of connection but that got me a lot more interested in this um and then i was at that around that time too i was living at a tibetan buddhist meditation center we have a lot of monks and lamas and rinpoches and and stuff teachers coming through and so i also had some interesting experiences there um that led me to that were like more consciously directed i'm okay since we're talking about this i'll say it i we had uh, one uh, major teacher come through and was there for a few days. And one of the uh, monks, uh, lamas that was traveling with him, um, good looking, nice young guy who had actually had a premonition, a very strong premonition of meeting him about a year before this happened. But um, so, you know, he was very charming and we spent some time together and um you know, he was interested in everything and people were teasing me about it because there's this whole kind of like jokey thing in a lot of Tibetan Buddhism, like, oh, they're supposed to be celibate, <laughs> but they're all randy or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, which kind of got on my nerves because I didn't feel like it was anyone's business. But um, so it was weird because I, <laughs> this is the type of thing, I'm sorry, I shouldn't just keep being so embarrassed, but um so I've always worn a lot of skirts because um, I have problems with my uh, pelvis and stuff and, and, and the nerve damage. So it's more comfortable. And, you know, I've, I've never had a problem with underwear staying up. But when this monk was around, or Lama, and thinking about me, and it's like suddenly it's like my underwear, you know, you're just feeling like, oh, this underwear is just so uncomfortable. I just, oh, what, you know, and I swear one time I... I was just standing there, not doing anything, perfectly fine pair of underwear just fell right off my butt onto the ground. And I was like, okay, this is it. This is too much. So it's one of the few times, usually I don't do anything uh, physically magical, but I actually tied a knot just in the front of the underwear that wouldn't make any difference to how it fit or anything, but it's just like, I'm keeping these on. Because <laughs> it's like with, I was talking with someone else about another strange experience I had uh, recently. And it's just like, you know, you could just, pick up the phone and call, right? You don't need to shape shift into a bird that comes and checks on me in the office when I'm working. You could just pick up the phone and call. But I think when you get a lot around a lot of people that, um, you know, meditating a lot, doing a lot of these practices, you know, your thoughts tend to follow your emotions and, and the erotic can be a very strong force. So it's, it's natural. I don't take, I don't hold it against anyone if it's just, especially if it's something they're just kind of um, finding themselves doing. But uh, yeah, so those type of experiences made me very interested in this aspect of things, mostly because I, I didn't really see any of this addressed anywhere back at the time. This is like in the nineties, mostly. Um, so I started speaking out and then, Hold on, let me just jump in here for a sec. Because you said a lot. Yep. <laughs> there's, a, there's already a lot to unpack there. <laughs> we will be back after this with more Stephanie Quick, Sex Magic. Have you ever read Communion? Or have you never read Communion? It's out in a new edition. Very powerful, a subtly new cover that reflects the fact that the visitors are now looking back at us because they truly are. You can get it from the unknowncountry.com store as a Kindle, as a beautiful, sumptuous paperback, or as an unabridged audiobook read by me. It's the first time in the whole life of communion that it has been read 
in full in audio format. And believe you me, I felt that reading. I put my life, my memories into it. And I trust you can hear it in the voice. I sure felt it while I was reading. So get communion. Listen to it. Read it. Communion is of central importance to all of our lives. And we're back. <laughs> the first thing that jumped out at me was um, human teachers. So mm -hmm. have you had not human teachers? And oh, how yeah. does one, I, I, before we even get to that, I mean, as you're rattling off, you know, spirit guides, I was at a monastery with monks and, uh, you know, shape-shifting into a bird. Like, if you're at a point now in your life where you're comfortable rattling these things off, what was the point where these were real for you? Like, what was the, I mean, because you don't just, it just doesn't come out of nowhere that you end up like at a Buddhist monastery and you end up into these things. Um, was there a point where you were like, okay, this is really real. Like, this is more real than, than what I'm living here. And so I've got to pursue this. What was that point for you? From the moment that I can remember being alive, I was always wanting to know, okay, what is the truth behind everything? I just always had that drive from the time I was very small. Um, I became interested in the uh, paranormal and more Fortiana um, when I was probably around, seven, probably around eight. And I started really taking a lot of books out of the library and stuff. Um, looking back on it, it's a strange thing. My uh, mom's mom, I was really close to her. We, um, she died when I was three. And I'm, I have a younger brother and sister. I'm the only one that has memories of her. We were very close. She spoiled me insanely. <laughs> you know, just like I'm sitting there, don't touch the butter, Stephanie. And I'm just like licking butter off the cube on the table and stuff. She's like, woohoo. Um, and... So she died when I was three. And looking back on it, it's like I, I, I always felt her presence very strongly. And um, we spent a lot of time in the Sierra Nevadas as I was a child. And if anyone has ever read uh, Barbara Ehrenhe Ehrenreich's book, Living with a Wild God, she talks about a mystical experience of the uh, consciousness in that area of the world that she had that just like blew her mind open. And I've had experience of that same consciousness there every time we went there, but I didn't know it would be anything different. Is this um, a Sierra Nevada's in Colombia? No, in California. Okay. Yeah. I'm, uh, was born in Fresno, California, and I've lived in California all my life. Okay. Um, so, and then it's kind of, here's another weird thing. I never thought it was that odd, but then looking back on it, you're like, what? So we used to play, you know, that light as a feather, stiff as a board thing where you levitate people when you're little kids. We do this at this one friend of ours house and we were on like seven, nine. And, um, but they always kind of used to mix it with, I don't know, a particular urban folklore about was this person died in a car accident because they were out partying and being naughty or whatever. And it was like, oh yeah, because we'd get great results, right? You'd have to like stand up sometimes to hold your arms all the way above your head. I'm looking back and I'm thinking, how can this be possible? But then I, I go back into the sense memory of it and it's, you know how you can feel, I mean, I could feel the, uh, the body lifting up where, it, so I had to, you know, uh, not to, to uh, lift my arms uh, very quickly to not lose co contact, right? And you know how when you touch someone, you could tell if they're tense or not, and they'd be perfectly relaxed. So I'm thinking back, how can this be? I don't know. But apparently these things were happening. When I was 20, I had had a, a, a recurring issue with breathing that first erupted when I was about 15. And I was expected at this time to maybe kind of, well, actually my uh, doctor had told everyone in my family to make their peace with me dying. I was really sick. And he tried this one uh, procedure to see if it could break the cycle of coughing. And it did. But before it did, I ended up uh, going into convulsions for 20 minutes. And I had a big old near-death experience. And this was before um, 
like Donahue and all those shows in afternoon TV were, had talked about near-death experiences, so I had no idea what was going on. But um, I was basically all of a sudden just like in the void, like really loud, really big, really close, nothing, no gravity, uh, no 3D space, no kept no like uh, molecules, nothing. I mean, just like incredibly disorienting and terrifying. Um, and this is when I went, met my uh, spirit guides or um, Rinpoche said they sounded like the Tathagatas, which is a kind of a bodhisattva in Tibetan Buddhism. I don't know, but um, they're like, okay, if you want help, we can offer They like, they made themselves really obvious, but they didn't impose. So I was like, okay. Did they and talk to you? they just gave me all these teachings and it was like talking. It was like hearing thoughts inside your head. It was um, taking my consciousness and holding it in that space aware. It was um, holding my energy body in various ways and uh, giving me a transmission so I could do that myself going forward. Okay. So it was like kind of multi-factorial. <laughs> um, so when I woke up from that, I was like... Um, and I worked with, the thing that I really, I don't know, I still can't get over it about these beings is they're very um, kind of hands off or they, they really let you exercise your own free will and they give you a lot of space. It's like completely no pressure, but they're also incredibly generous. Basically anything that I want to ask over these decades since then, I can ask and I'll get it answered one way or the other. Um, so in the beginning, I was really trying to work with these concepts and seeing whether or not they made sense, whether or not they seemed to hold true. And um, yeah, they, they, it's all been incredibly helpful for me. So I still have a contact with those beings. And um, yeah, and then, you know, over time, um, I've made, <laughs> sounds like, I just sound like such a California goofy woman, but I've made friends with, you know, you have various trees or nature divas or animal spirits or particular animals, uh, domestic or wild animals. Um, there's all these alliances and allies that you can make. Um, so the lady who would change into a bird was, I, I was involved with her and she was um, heavily, uh, had trained very heavily over many decades with uh, several different uh, indigenous North American teachers. So I learned a lot from her, but yeah, she could do that. It was very how do you know odd. She could do that. What, how would how would you know that? What would happen? Um, well, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you you know I don't expect anyone else to believe it, right? Um, I'm just telling people this is what I've been through, and this is how I've interpreted it in light of my entire experience and if you haven't had that experience you don't know me why should you believe it right but just i mean no, i know there's people who've had similar experiences <laughs> yeah. but um when we were uh together I, I had worked at this one shop and um it's a sign shop and so it's kind of one of those um kind of small industrial park type of things where you have like a little uh uh, big uh, shop space and then at the front has like a, uh, a glass front and then like the glass a door that'll swing open back and forth just a regular size door and then it has the uh, roll down metal door for night to close it up and it was actually right in the same uh, industrial park as the original Pixar shop in Point Richmond so that was kind of fun Steve Jobs would complain to us now and then but anyway um so now I had been working there for a number of years and there was always, you know, kind of birds, you use like blackbirds. They're like the parking lot birds here in California. And they never even came near the door. There's nothing for them inside the shop. But when I was with her, every once in a while, you'd have one of the birds would look, come walk straight in the door, come over and look at me and then just walk straight out. And it wasn't like a case of, you know, a bird getting confused and flying in there accidentally. It would be very purposeful, just like in, out. And so I call, I asked her, I'm like, Darsho. 
And she's she's got like super embarrassed and flustered. And she's like, well, I can't turn into a deer because you're thing. And I'm like, why don't you can call on the phone? We have technology these days. But um, yeah, so for, and then after we weren't together, that, that did not happen. Hmm. One more break. That's all it is. Stephanie Quick, Sex Magic, coming up after this. Unknowncountry.com. It's huge. It's much more than just a Whitley Strieber book site. It contains thousands of hours of interviews, meditations, podcasts of all kinds. My original hypnosis tapes are there. You can actually hear the moment that I discovered that I at least was not alone in this universe in the office of Dr. Donald Klein so many years ago. Whitley Strieber audiobooks, Communion, Transformation, The Secret School, Breakthrough, Majestic, and so much more powerful meditations. But more even than all that, it is a community of people who are either looking to gain contact or actually in contact now. There is no community like it in the world. It is absolutely unique. Contact really is happening here. That's what these shows are all about. That's what my life and this website are about. It's real, and it can be of enormous benefit to us individually and to mankind as long as we take our part and do it our way. This is what being a member of Unknown Country is about. So go to unknowncountry.com and subscribe today. Join us and join, very frankly, the future. See, that wasn't so painful, was it? And here we are once again with Stephanie Quick. So, so yeah. then what is your, um, you have these experiences, mm -hmm. Buddhist monastery, and are you studying as well? Are you studying this stuff, getting your hands on all the books you can read or, um, how, how does, how do you fill out your knowledge base of this stuff? Well, uh, like the sex stuff? Yeah, the sex magic and like, are or do you, I guess like, what is your, mm -hmm. I don't know if there's a concentration or specialty, but I mean, it, it, do you look more at, um, well, obviously doing sex magic, it seems personally, but then also like mythology, um, do you look at patterns in the occult and alien abduction and that sort of thing? Like how far do you take uh, your sort of study of it, I guess? For me, I am interested in all of it. I've always been one of those people that just has like a voracious mind. Um, I used to read like a lot and have a really good memory for um, everything. And then uh, when I was around 45, I got Lyme disease and it scrambled my brain big time. <laughs> mm. But um, so I've got, you know, I, I mean, and that's part of the thing I found is that when you, when you get, when you get old and you, bless you, that's my dog. Oh, all That's all over. He, um, you can, you can have times and you kind of focus on one aspect and then focus on another. And personally, I find that for any person who has a, an interest, a sincere interest in the esoteric, the occult, uh, magic, uh, spiritual development, expansion of consciousness, it is great to keep that in mind. Because um, I had it at that one time uh, in my... Um, I want to say, you know, like late 20s, early 30s, when uh, my life came together in a way where I was able to, um, you know, be sitting with uh, Leslie Temple's group uh, every month when she came up from New Mexico, you know, having like a whole weekend just devoted to that. 
Um, I uh, have done a lot of reading in the past. I studied anthropology and archaeology uh, when I was younger. I took uh, in college. I also took um, art history and art practice. I studied a lot of music. I took a lot of science courses, especially through high school. And then as part of archaeology, you take a lot of uh, hard science courses too. history of science. Um, I've done over the years, a ton of reading into especially uh, UFO accounts. Not so much the last while, though recently I've started to get into it again. Um, so I'll kind of have these these ups and downs. Um, there's a woman who's kind of like the patron saint of sex magicians named Ida Craddock. And I feel a deep kinship with her in the way that she was just like incredibly voracious. I, I studied a lot of mythology uh, growing up as a kid and then in terms of anthropology as well. Um, well, can I, can I stop you there? Because mm -hmm. I want to oh, ask yeah. you some questions about this, because I really, like, yeah. I don't know anything about this stuff. But, uh, no <laughs> uh, well, in terms of, you know, when we talk about non-consensual human sex, rape, we say that it's not sex, that it's about control yeah. and manipulation and power. And, uh, but then when it comes to, um, you know, either mythological or even alien abduction or ghost, you know, type um, unwanted encounters. We don't talk about it really in terms of rape necessarily. Um, is there a reason for that? Is there, what's the description? I mean, it, it, an unwanted encounter, and maybe I'll ask it this way. Does it secretly have a purpose that makes it not rape? Not in my view. I, and this is one of the things that I'm always coming back to, and I think it just sound, makes everything sound boring. But um, when it comes to discarnate entities or demi-carnate, semi-carnate entities, you know, ghosts, Bigfoot, whatever, um, and humans, it, it so much of it is just the same. And if you don't want it, if you do not consent, then that's, I don't care who's doing it, that's assault, that's rape. Um, conversely, if it's a uh, you know discard if it's a ghost and you have a deep sympathy with them and emotional in intimacy, then um, to me then that can be a very loving connection as well. Um, so it all comes to me down to the uh, consent and the intention. And I think a lot of people that have uh, these um, sexual encounters. In, uh, for example, uh, UFO or flying saucer alien type context, it can be uh, definitely traumatic and it's assault and violent. And I don't know, I it should not be uh, brushed aside because it can be incredibly traumatic. I've had, um, I've never had anything where I felt like it was kind of like an alien entity or um, a flying saucer or unidentified light encounter myself. I've had a lot of different types of encounters with, for example, uh, dead people. And um, I had one of a person who had died in a very traumatic way. And I had an intense uh, meditation experience of what they had gone through. And uh, as a result, many decades later, I still have intense claustrophobia. So I am do not doubt one whit that people that have these uh, horrible, uh, you know, assault encounters situations in um, the alien or UFO context, you know, it can be just as, as terrible and uh, it cause lasting trauma. Um, well, it seems like in the UFO so, context, yeah, I don't agree with that. at least sometimes in the mm -hmm. UFO context, you could maybe get an answer as to why this is going on in some way. But does anyone, are there any accounts that you know of in terms of ghosts and that sort of, where they find out why this is happening to them? Um, well, in my own case, I have been, um, and I was thinking just recently that I'm, I'm fortunate this way um, because a lot of uh, paranormal or encounters can be very traumatic or bring up very unpleasant uh, emotions or, or hard experiences for people. Um, but somehow I've gotten kind of tagged as the lady uh, that you tell your uh, nice, uh, sexy story to. 
for example, I know a couple of different people who um, were very like idocratic. They knew someone when they were alive and they had a friendship or a connection with them and then uh, or were married to them, uh, you know, erotically involved. And then the person unfortunately died. And then later on, this person is like, hey, you, <laughs> I remember you. And they have uh, a continued sexual um, relation, erotic relationship. And um, it's fat. to me, what seems to be a, a constant in a lot of these relationships um, that are consensual and intimate is that um, there's kind of a, a, a teaching element between, for example, the, the person who has passed on and the living person. Um, I know uh, one woman and her uh, old uh, husband who died will come back and she'll have like these dreams where it feels like he's trying to teach her uh, certain esoteric practices. And sometimes she can remember and sometimes she can't. And the frustration of that, um, you have to develop that skill to be able to have that uh, continued uh, uh, communication. Um, another person I know, uh, his uh, girlfriend died and he has been working in uh, a kind of in a chaplain position um, to help uh, people in hospice. And uh, she's been helping him with that. He's been feeling her very strongly as a, a kind of like a joint project, which makes a lot of sense when you, you know, I mean, as you're helping people cross over, if you have one person on either side of that uh, veil between the living and the dead, it's like a, bit, a better support system for whoever you're helping. Um, there is a woman I want to mention, uh, Dr. Megan Rose, and she has written a book called Spirit Marriage, and she has a lot of uh, excellent free material on her website as well, uh, videos you can watch and stuff. But she did her uh, PhD dissertation on, and it resulted in her book Spirit Marriage, on these um, relationships of marriage between humans and discarnate entities. And she talks to uh, people in these marriages from a number of different traditions, uh, fairy, uh, Haitian voodoo. Um, and uh, I think one lady has a relationship with Odin. And she has found this uh, as well, that a lot of these um, different traditions or uh, marriages um, tend to be in furtherance of uh, communication between the two realms and try and base a lot of it has a lot of uh, overlap with what you see in a lot of UFO encounters, which is that these entities are saying we need to get in a better relationship with the ecology and the, the planet generally um, huh. there. So if people are interested, Dr. Megan Rose, yeah. That's interesting. So, so just that, one more that question along these lines, because uh, I'm, I'm just trying to get it if there are commonalities he in this area of um well like i guess in consent i mean everything you're talking about in a sense is like these relationships that existed prior to death or that there's some sort of consent in death to mm -hmm. carrying it on but in in you know abduction literature as i'm sure you're familiar there's plenty of experiencers who talk about you know, they don't know why this is yeah. happening, whether it's sexual or not, just the experience itself. I, I'm not really sure, but I have this feeling on some unconscious level that I agreed to this. Mm -hmm. Is there anything like that with the ghost stuff or even the God, demigod, deity stuff uh, where there's the unconscious? I feel like it's right there. I don't know what it is, but I feel like I agreed to this. See, this gets into an issue that I have with... Uh, certain people in the paranormal community because they they ooga booga everything and try and make everything super scary and we go out and hunt these ghosts and it was like this big murder and it was ah! and that does not help people and it gets people freaked out about developing any of their own capacities as far as uh, being psychic or in pk or uh, being able to uh, go out of the body and what will help you in these type of situations, now it's, it's not a panacea, but if you can develop those type of skills, you have a better chance um, at setting your own boundaries and not getting so much of the skeevy stuff. Because like I was saying, just like with you know living people, you have uh, dead people and other entities that don't care about you. Now, people that are thinking, have this feeling that they agreed to something, 
again, let's look at human people. If you have a uh, someone who is, let's say, a minor person who is being groomed for abuse by an adult, right? Someone with uh, more capacity and control, uh, intellectual capacity, social status, more control over the situation. What are they going to try to do to that person? They're going to try and make them feel complicit in their own abuse. Why is this, you know, so you see this reflected in a lot of these UFO encounters. Um, I have another uh, one experience that I think, well, it informs my own personal views on these matters. Um, so when I was living at the, uh, uh, it was a meditation center, it wasn't like a monastery, but um, we had a, a certified Rinpoche living there. And uh, I learned, first I want to say, I learned a lot from him. He was very adept. Um, he was human like the rest of us. So um, I, I'm living there, things are happening. Okay, so one night I'm just laying there asleep and I'm dreaming and I'm there in my bedroom and I'm looking at the door of the bedroom and it opens and Rinpoche walks in and I just woke right up. And you know how... Um, you have that the kind of sight, like after the orchestra stops and that kind of ringing silence. I was just like in my room, like, what the heck went on? So I had no idea what that was about. Um, but after that, he started to treat me with a lot more respect um, and be more straight across with me. So I knew that whatever, you know, <laughs> something had, had actually gone on. And this is something I always trying to convey to people. When you have these like odd experiences, look at what's happening around you in the material agreed upon world and see if anything has changed. This could give you a clue as to whether or not this is just something in your head or if there's something more to it or, or what that might be. Anyway, uh, so we're going along. Um, later on, uh, a couple who had been uh, big students of his across the country decided to sell everything and they were going to move to the center and, and get um, things whipped into shape because it was a little kind of low-key so they were going to get uh, Rinpoche, given empowerments, given teachings, and whip things into shape. Okay, so this lady was very um, kind of take charge woman. Anyway, so she hadn't been living there that long. And she says, oh, I'm going to go uh, shopping down in, in Berkeley at this one part uh, off Gilman. And um, you want to come down? So I'm like, sure. So we get down there and we're looking at clothes. She's like, Stephanie, I had this dream last night and I just, I have no idea what it could mean. And I was wondering if you could, if I could tell you and you could just give me any ideas. So I'm like, sure. You know, I'm not a big, any big dream interpreter, but I'll, you know, whatever. So she says, well, I had this dream that I was um, dreaming and Rinpoche came to me and he said um, that if I had sex with him and didn't tell anyone about it, then I would get like all this good karma and advancement and everything, but I had to keep it a secret. I'm like, well, I think it means that if you sleep with Rinpoche and keep a secret, he's going to give you, she's like, no, I just, I can't think of what it means. I'm like, Ugh. but I had seen some uh, other, especially younger women in the kind of greater community who had had some real, they'd made some like uncomfortable comments and things they didn't want to talk about with Rinpoche and it put my whole dream in a different light, right? Tibetan Buddhism is known for having this tradition of uh, training people from the time that they're very small in these uh, various uh, psychic techniques and dream yoga is a big one. And um, I think that there is kind of a, a similar, similar relationship, right? if you're just kind of your average Western slob dreaming <laughs> fitfully or hap haphazardly, and then someone who's been training for, in his case, like half a century at that, yeah, <laughs> at that point comes in, who's going to have the upper hand, right? It's like if you're just an average slob going into the courtroom against a trained lawyer, right? It's an unfair advantage. And so they can, you can um, be caught that way into feeling like you've agreed and maybe you did, but it was in a completely unfair circumstance. And I wonder if that could be something else that's happening in some of these um, 
entity contact situations where people are feeling, well, maybe you did agree. Maybe they got you in some weird altered state of consciousness where you, you had, you know, they had every advantage and got you to agree. So well, let me ask you, so yeah. as alive people, um, people, a lot of folks who do occulty <laughs> stuff, in fact, probably all of them are doing it to gain some mm -hmm. sort of power, to have power over, you know, the mystical arts or whatever. Um, and so we think nothing of it, right? Like of trying to conjure a spirit, bring it here, do what we want with it, get what we want from it. And yet, I think a lot of it. <laughs> well, and, and yet, it, so could they be doing the same thing? Like when you talk about sex as magic, is there magic that they're doing on their end? Because it seems like an awful big chore to come up with, you know, whip up some sort of ethereal genitalia to, uh, you know, to have uh, physical sex with people or whatever as a succubus or whatever it is. And uh, so I'm trying to look for like a purpose. <laughs> to all of this and and if there's a purpose on our end to try to do sex magic is there any evidence that they're doing sex magic on their end or that they're receiving something along those lines some sort of uh occult powers or you know is there some purpose and to that to that angle i guess of it for them well um i was trying to argue with uh, someone recently who's been a guest with Whitley Strieber that um I, there, I have developed a unified theory of the paraweird and paranormal, which is that uh, people are trying to get laid. <laughs> this is not just live people. <laughs> I think that there's uh, multiple answers. A lot of, uh, for example, possession cults, for example, classical Haitian voodoo, um, that's one way to entice the spirits here is that there are uh, pleasures of the flesh, so shall we say, uh, that you can't experience once you're simply in spirit and that it's, um, you know, you can get drunk or eat food or, you know, have sex or go swimming in the ocean or dance, right? Uh, listen to music, all of these type of sensual experiences that, that just aren't the same when you're out of the body. And so this is one way to kind of coax spirits here. Um, and then I think that... Uh, uh, Dr. Rose has identified something uh, there that when you have these um, spirits that want to create uh, changes in the material world, because it, they're not separate, right? The, the material and uh, spiritual or more subtle worlds are constantly interacting and affecting one another. Um, and developing that type of uh, intimate, erotic uh committed relationship for example like spirit marriage is for whatever reason seems to be a classic technique for creating that type of alliance between the realms um various type of shamanic or ecstatic indigenous practices all over uh, the world have uh spirit marriage or spirit spouses it's one of the ways that you become a, a bigger practitioner um and that's one way for the spirits to make uh, actual changes and, and get a, a foot in the door here back on the material plane. Um, and then also, I think sometimes it just comes down to uh, horniness or, um, you know, real love, attraction to, to, some, to someone. I mean, look at Zeus running around. <laughs> And suddenly, you know, you're doing fine. And then you see this one person and it just, you know, I think it can happen to the uh, discarnate entities as well. So I don't know. So let me, I think a lot of it is a mystery, though. I want to ask you, turn the page here <laughs> to something else <laughs> that is, it's really, you know, the only other thing that I've been thinking about in terms of this stuff. I'm like, hmm. Uh, when people do like people who came up with ye old sex uh, ritualistic stuff, magic, tantra, that sort of thing. When we do it nowadays and we make it like, especially tantra, make it about uh, a loving reunion between two people or whatever, you know, we make it less about the sex magic -y stuff and more about whatever our modern minds want it to be. Is the effect the same, do you know, mm -hmm. or is the effect diluted when you take it out of its cultural context and bring it into something different? Okay, so there's different ways that you, that, okay, Tantra, first of all, is like this huge set of practices that, that go way beyond just Tantric sex. 
you're supposed to be approaching everything in your life with this type of uh, consciousness and devotion towards uh, uh, achieving enlightenment as quickly as possible uh, so that you can help reduce the suffering of all sentient beings, right? It's a Mahayana tradition, uh, at least as I have had it explained to me, which means that you're not just concerned about your soul enlightenment, but uh, you have the type of enlightenment which uh, lets you uh, have the insight that we are all intimately connected. So you need to have, it's like we're all, we're all going together or none of us are getting there, right? Um, so, and, and there's also many different forms of sex magic, even in the Western tradition. Um, so if you look at, for example, like a, a, a tantric union practice, um, it tends to be one, and if you want to uh, read someone who has studied this uh, intensively and is also a practitioner and also a wonderful, sensible, fun person, uh, Ben Jaffe, Dr. Jem ben uh, Jaffe has been studying householder practitioners of Tibetan Buddhism um, in his academic work. And he uh, has written uh, a number of articles and also a book. I think his blog is called The Perfume Skull. A perfume skull, uh, B E N J O F F E. Um, so he writes and uh, speaks about this uh, uh, very articulately, and he has a lot of uh, insight into it. Um, and it's not—it's not just like academic insight. As I said, he's a practitioner as well. So a lot of these techniques have to do with transmission, and this is something that I, I had a conversation with uh, Ben about, which I really appreciated. You read these texts, or you come across these myths, and there's like the written the written word on the page, or the spoken word. This is like in many cases a vehicle for a certain energetic uh, thought form, emotional, conceptual uh, transmission to come through, or to put you in contact with certain uh, spiritual entities who will be supporting you in your practices and helping you. Um, and one way of accomplishing this is through, uh, sex. I was talking with, uh, Wild Trees, who's a biologist. And he was talking about, uh, in terms of, um, you know, we talk about energy in, uh, uh, uh like, a poltergeist phenomenon or something. And he's like, he's saying, you know, when people are emotionally, uh, agitated or aroused, you literally do put out more energy, you know, just in terms of calories and EMF emissions and stuff like that. Um, so if you have two people and they are both sexually aroused, um, it is possible to become more intimate with each other's energy bodies, form a kind of an informational connection and have transmission of, um, knowledge, uh, states of consciousness, uh, ritual techniques, and a lot of uh, sex magic practices in the East are uh, based on that kind of principle or that type of a process. As well, there is this idea that if you are able to uh, maintain a stable uh, state of a certain uh, expanded states of consciousness, uh, various types of uh, samadhi, um, this can create kind of a beacon or uh, like a lighthouse, uh, uh, a, uh, a wave over the landscape that helps to kind of uh, soothe things and dissolve karma and uh, uh, just kind of uplift things emotionally, uh, encourage people to um, pursue uh, compassion and wisdom and enlightenment. Um, and so you can perform this type of uh, cosmic union as kind of a blessing on the land. Um, then there's various uh, uh, Taoist practices, which I know a little tiny bit about, but they also have to do as well with these uh, kind of creating a um, an energy configuration between the two of you. 
<laughs> that helps to um, kind of make these best blessings and boons coming out over, over the land. Um, and then also there's a way that you can use the uh, sexual arousal and excitement to kind of fuel these higher states of consciousness. Um, in one or both partners, you can have one person kind of be in the supporting role and one uh, going out there <laughs> in samadhi or whatever. Um, so there's a lot of, so that's getting more towards like an erotic mystical practice. Because I would disagree. I think there's a lot of occultists who uh, pursue it not for power or practical means, but as a way of um, pursuing truth and um, knowledge of the self and to become more adept in order to be able to help other people. All right, Dreamland, that will do it for this week, but uh, I, I don't go anywhere yet. See this book? See this book that I wrote? Aliens, the first and final disclosure? Um, in a few episodes for me, which means actually a few months, a couple months, I'm going to um, do a solo show about it about uh, the origins of um, a really huge point that I make in this book and my previous book, I'm to tell you this and I'm to tell you it is fiction. It's a theory that is growing for me into, oh, this actually is true. Um, and it's, I don't know if it's overlooked or just not talked about. I, I don't know because um, like when I write, especially this book now, when I wrote I Know, uh, when I, well, I Know Why the Aliens Don't Land, which was my first book, uh, and then I Am to Tell You This and I Am to Tell You It Is Fiction, was like sort of a pseudo-sequel gone wrong. It turns into a whole bunch of other stuff. Well, that book um, was sort of an, um, an artistic piece that also happens to be a book. And so I knew it wasn't going to be straightforward. This book, however, Aliens, the first and final uh, whatever, disclosure, <laughs> uh, is a straightforward book. And I try to lay on the comedy thick, um, especially at the beginning. It's sort of a comedy roast that many of you will find distasteful because you're way into the things I'm lampooning. Um, but I thought that that lightheartedness playing throughout the book, even when it becomes deeper and deeper and deeper, would carry you through a spoonful of sugar, helping the medicine and all. Um, but I keep hearing from people that they have to, you know, read it a number of times um, to really get what I'm saying and that it sticks with them and that it is deep all the way through. And so I, I, I don't know if in that, because there's a lot there that you go, huh, okay. And so I don't want like the, the core premise of like what... Um, what could really be going on here with this thing that we call aliens or visitors or whatever, where they actually are from, what they are about and what our role in that is. I think that, which sounds like it should be the central premise that everybody's like, oh, wow, amazing, or oh, wow, crap, might actually be the thing that's getting lost in the shuffle. And um, when I first started uh, talking about it in, in I'm to tell you the same, to tell you it is fiction, um, it was something that came to me uh, whole, <laughs> the entire vision of it, of how it impacts us and all this came in one foul swoop. And I had thought, and I'd been saying all this time, that that was the origin of it. But actually, it turns out, the origin, um, in a slightly different way, but very, very similar, actually happened years earlier in an experience that I had um, that started off as a dream. And I'd forgotten the dream part of it. And I'll, I'll get into all of this later. But it just leads me to believe that this really is onto something here. Now, of course, the problem is when you believe that, the second you believe that about any of your experiences where there's like a communication of some sort, it tends to fall apart or blow up in your face. You're just led down rabbit holes. And I want to talk about that too. So I'm going to do that in a solo episode in a few months. And uh, I want you to go run... Go to Amazon.com or wherever you get these here books. You can get it through unknowncountry.com. Get the book, be read up, and be prepared for a solo show that should be like, you know, 
the seminar that you uh, pay good money to see at a UFO conference, but nobody invites me anywhere because uh, I blew up hypnosis and abduction research, you know, like a decade ago. So for me, I just get blackballed. Eh, what are you going to do? Uh, what I'm going to do is the solo show that hopefully will blow your mind. Um, so since Stephanie doesn't have a book or anything to promote, I thought, okay, I'll promote mine now and promote this upcoming show. So please get the book, get ready, and uh, I don't know. Let's see where this takes us. For now, the curtain. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.